Science is going to tell you to move towards the nano. That's where the biggest benefit is. Have our sponge nanotube material, and it could be used for environmental oil spill applications. Cancer-killing nanobots that could soon be flowing through our bloodstream. The graphene is just a material. It's a it's it's, it's a wonder material, if you like. Bend it anywhere you want. You could have a computer screen that you could fold up like paper. We get this new world of materials which we were not aware before. And they're at the heart of a field we call nanotechnology. The key now is how can we use this to have an impact on the world we live in. What's up? Welcome back to Nano Junkie. Today we're going to be covering three different news stories. That's three different articles about nanotechnology. And this is my new format for nanotech news. I'm still going to be reporting on new and recent news. I'm just going to do it differently. I'm going to do quick one and a half, two minute coverages of different articles so that I can cover more material while skipping a lot of the really deep and technical, boring stuff. I'm still going to get technical enough to explain what's going on, but also keeping it casual enough to understand. But anyway, our first story comes from Caltech researchers who actually found a way to make materials levitate with light, or so they think anyway. So if you think of a sail on a sailboat, this is like a sheet you unfurl, you attach it to some pole on your boat, I think it's called a mast or something, and then the wind blows against that sheet which also propels your ship forward. So there's also something similar called a light sail, which does this with light. So you can put this on a spacecraft and the sheet actually unfurls in space and the light waves come in and impact that sheet and force that spacecraft forward. Researchers think they've designed a way to get rid of the light sail altogether. And they do this by making some, they build some kind of nanoscale patterning on the object surface. And so these nanostructures are able to turn the impact of light into momentum that propels that object forward. So this eliminates your need for a light cell altogether. Unfortunately, this is all still theory, though these uh, researchers think that this will work. They haven't actually been able to test this yet, but I think this is a good way to build ultralight spacecraft that can be propelled to other solar systems off of sunlight alone. This group at Caltech also considers this form of light propulsion to be very, very stable because of the way that they design the nanostructures. So if you've ever seen a ping pong ball get levitated by air, the ping pong ball is light enough and the force of the air is large enough, you can levitate that ball in place. So these scientists think that you can do the same thing with light. If you build the right nanostructures on an object and you have enough light shining underneath the object, you can make that object levitate in place. And they're confident enough in their nanostructure design to say that this form of light levitation or light propulsion is very, very stable enough to actually keep that object exactly where you want it to be. Moving away from space exploration and going to bio-nanoelectronics, our next story comes from the lab of bio-nanoelectronics from UC San Diego. And so the issue these scientists are trying to solve is environmental pollution. 
So there are two methods of getting rid of environmental pollutants today. One is to use bacteria or other life forms that can break down organic substances naturally. So bacteria or micro life forms will break down an organic molecule and use that as a food source. The issue with this method is that a lot of environmental pollutants that are introduced into the environment are very toxic or are not organic substances. They are inorganic. They cannot be broken down easily or at all by natural life forms. Another pathway that's used by scientists is to use a microbead. So these are specially engineered little beads that can break down a certain chemical or a certain class of chemicals because of how they're designed. And so these are specially targeting environmental cleanup devices. So the issue with this, even though it works very well because of its specificity, is that microbeads can't move on their own like bacteria can. And so once the microbead is thrown into a river or into a puddle, it just stays there. It just settles there. And so this does not have the mobility that a life form would have. And scientists don't have the time and resources to just scatter microbeads across the entire planet in order to solve our systemic environmental issue. And so the most natural thing that the San Diego researchers decided to do was to combine these two methods together. In short, they built what they call biohybrid micro-robots, or rotibots. These hybrid microbots combine microbeads with a type of micro-animal called a rotifer. And rotifers are mobile. They use like little hairs called cilia on their surface in order to move around. And so what you get from this is the best of both worlds. You get the mobility of the micro-animal, and you get the chemical breakdown potential of the microbead. And so they even demonstrated that in an experiment, these rotobots were able to inhibit bacterial growth eight times more effectively than just using the beads alone. The introducing a hybridization of these two different sides is increasing the efficiency of the cleanup of these technologies. So this is a very, this is a very awesome example of this perfect marriage you can get between natural life and technology. All right, the third and final story comes from Rice University at the Brown School of Engineering, and we're going back to two-dimensional materials. So to remind you for like the third or fourth time, if you've been following this podcast, a two-dimensional material or 2D material is a material that's one atom thick or a few atoms thick. So it is the thinnest material that you could possibly make because it only consists of one atom in thickness. And so scientists are becoming so good at making new 2D materials because there are so many different chemical elements to play around with. And then once you know how to make a 2D material out of a single element, you can play around with making 2D materials out of different combinations of elements. You can make hetero materials or doped materials. You can even stack sheets of 2D materials on top of each other and make hetero structures. So there are so many different combinations, thousands and thousands of possible 2D materials to make. So scientists decided that instead of having to do that themselves, they were going to teach deep learning agents to do this. In other words, these researchers plan to program machine learning algorithms that will build the structure, not actually, but computationally, will build the structures and then test the properties of those structures. And so they plan to first calibrate these machine learning algorithms with simpler materials like graphene. And then to just let the algorithms go, just play around and make as many combinations of materials as it can 
and then compute the physical and electronic properties of that material, particularly how strong the material is, what is the material's resistance to radiation, et cetera, et cetera, what's the conductivity of that material, and it just goes on and on. And so these researchers at Rice University want to be able to make computational agents that operate independently to build and test materials that have not been invented yet. This is an, I, I heard a lot about machine learning and artificial intelligence recently, but this is kind of something that blows my mind that they're able or they're planning to, and they're seem, it seems like they may be succeeding in making a deep learning algorithm that can test materials that have not actually been fabricated yet. And so instead of wasting hours and hours, you know, let's say weeks, months, maybe even longer being in the lab to make materials and test different materials before you find the right match for your application, you can literally just search through a database that's been made by one of these automatic computational agents and find whatever combination of elements and structures give you the material that you want. Because this, this computer has been calculating what, the, what material does what for you for hours and hours, for months and months in a row, so that you don't have to actually test those materials yourself. And this is revolutionary. I think this is one of the best uses of machine learning I've ever seen. I've heard it. I've heard of AI machine learning being used for similar things involved in chemistry, material science in terms of predicting material properties. But I think just being able to apply this to a new frontier of like nanomaterials, nanotechnology is just amazing. And it's really going to propel this field forward. It's going to cut a lot of the testing and lead time between discovery and the scale up of these materials. So I'm really, really excited about that. And there you go, three really, really interesting stories involving nanotechnology. So we talked about levitation by light and space propulsion using light, hybrid bio nanobots, and two-dimensional deep learning algorithms. So really, really good stories. I kind of really like this format, at least for now on this first go-through, because it integrates more naturally with my lifestyle. I already have all these articles in a big repository, basically, in some folder on my computer because I'm looking up nanotech articles all the time. And so it's really easy for me to just go in, pick out two or three, and talk about them on a podcast episode as opposed to doing one article and going really, really deep into it and kind of running out of stuff to talk about or just talking too much about everything. And this video is about the same length as my past nanotech news episodes, actually. We're running at about 10 minutes here. So it's actually not that different in length. And I think you, I, get to talk, I get to talk about a lot more material and you, the listeners, get a lot more content out of it. And so even if you don't find one thing interesting, you can jump into the other things. Uh, the only thing that may be an issue is that maybe only one thing here catches your eye. Maybe you want to learn more about that, but you could always learn more about that on your own. I would try to include the links in the description for you to look at in your own time if you're interested. And that's going to be a link straight to the article that I'm referring to. And that article usually has a link referring to the original paper if you have access or want to buy access to that paper. Um, if you're really, really deep into it, you're like an actual scientist or something, and yeah, you can do that. But anyway... That's all I have for today. I will catch you guys on the next one. I suppose be on the lookout for updates, check-ins, nanotech news.
anything I talked about before, I will talk about again. See ya.